Let's take our Bibles out now, and we will continue on in our mini-series in between Route 66. You can uh, turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7. We will be in a number of passages, but we'll begin in Joshua in chapter 7. Now, as has been said, we started our season of prayer yesterday, and in talking to a number of people, um, my father about it and other church pastors in the area, I, felt, I found myself having to explain at times, because when people talk about a church having a season of prayer, they may mean a number of different things. They may say they're having a special prayer meeting where you all go and you all pray, or you call in and you pray. And I was trying to explain that there's no official meeting, we just have a prayer chain where in succession we all pray, but it's all done uh, privately. Uh, we get a chance to pray for the person before us, the people after us on that prayer chain, and I sent that email out. I realized that I didn't get it to everyone, but I'm thankful that you were responsible and wrote down your prayer time. So I'm thankful for that, and I hope that you had a good time in prayer yesterday. Now, not that you've told me or not that I've asked, but if you missed it yesterday, that's okay. You know, you could spend some time today, uh, but make that calendar change for this coming Saturday because we're doing it each Saturday all the way till Christmas. And I find it easy to just set the alarm on my phone, and my phone is often with me, so it, it keeps, me, keeps me on track, okay? I'll try to send out another email to remind you, but we'll plan to continue with this all the way through Christmas in our season of prayer. And it really was a sweet time. Um, I'll probably tell you more things over the lunch table today, but I enjoyed it. My wife related how much she enjoyed it, and I was able to take each one of my children, and we took about 15 minutes to go through it, but just go through each of those three components of the prayer time and talk to them about what can you adore God for. Let's do it. And then to pedantically move on. What can we admit to the Lord that we've done that's sin? And, and to pedantically move through that and just help them with those things. Uh, because in the end of the day, they need to know how to call in the name of the Lord. You look through the, the minutes of the church history of this church, and the first people to sign their name to our covenant and to be part of the church, some of them couldn't even write their name. They wrote their X. But they knew the name of the Lord, and they knew how to call on his name, and that was far more important. So before we are able to teach the kids how important it is, how to throw a baseball, which I think is important, it's far more important to teach them how to call on the name of the Lord. And we're just having a focused time to do that. And if you wonder, did you really have all your kids sit down and do that with you? Yes, I'm their father, and I try to teach them what I believe is best. And talking to God is one of the very best things they must learn to do. And if I have failed in that, I have failed utterly as a father. So that's what we worked on uh, yesterday. And um, it was easier with some. It is a lot more explaining for others. And that's how it is with parenting. But that's our, our wonderful task. All right, let's go before the Lord now. We're going to consider, my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, giving glory to the Lord, giving glory to the Lord. Let's pray. 
Father, as we look at your word, what an opportunity we have. And what a privilege it is for me to be able to do this, to be called of you to do it, and to sit before your people and open your word. And what a privilege it is to sit before people who want to know what you've said and who are eager to do what you've said. Father, we pray that you would solidify those things in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. The story goes that the army of Israel was defeated by the tiny town of Ai. And it was just demoralizing for the army. How could so few cause so many to flee, to run? Israel didn't understand. They despaired. And of course, they were... They were wishing they could push the rewind button. They wish they they could go back to a time where things weren't like this. Well, then you remember that God spoke to Joshua, the leader of the people of Israel. And God told Joshua that someone among them had sinned greatly, and he needed to be found, and found he was. Let's read about it in Joshua chapter 7, verses 19 through 21, where we find Joshua saying to Achan, My son... Give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you've done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoils the beautiful cloak from Shinar and five pounds of silver and a bar of gold weighing a pound and a quarter, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they're hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. You know, many of you have heard that story as a child. And you learned the lesson about stealing. You learned how Achan looked, lusted, and then looted what wasn't his to have. It's kind of like this, kids. It's kind of like when you looked in your sibling's Halloween candy basket, and you saw that candy that you liked so much, and when they weren't looking, you just took it for yourself this week. At least I remember doing that when I was young. Of course, we look at the story of Achan, and it's a story that we learned so long ago, and it's a lesson about stealing that we learned so long ago, but I must be honest and say that I missed the lesson for a long, long time that I could have learned from Joshua. It wasn't until I read Thomas Watson on ways to give glory to God that I focused in on what Joshua said. Look at verse 19. Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. So Joshua called Achan to glorify God. I just want to ask did Achan listen? How did Achan respond? Did he actually glorify God? So today I'd like us to consider again an important part of prayer. We've been going over this definition and I hope it's sinking into our minds that prayer is offering up our desires to God in faith for things agreeable to his will with confession of sin and thankful acknowledgement for his mercies. That's an old standard definition. And you see three parts there in that definition where we adore God, we admit to God, and we ask things of God. 
And did you remember that from last week? The three A's? Adore, admit, and ask. Today we're going to focus on the second one of those. Admitting sin to God. So today I want to talk about confession. And I do that because I've been very encouraged talking to you uh, and hearing from you your feedback on the season of prayer and what a blessing it was to you. And if you're not yet a part of that, there's still time to join. We'd love for you to join with us and do that. But you've been sharing with me what a blessing it's been, and it's just wonderful to have a sweet half hour of prayer. You've had the experience of drawing close to the Lord when you've called upon him. And that's what he promised. He promised that he'd draw near to you. And you experienced that in a new way just yesterday. Now, having said that, it was said that that second part of the prayer was particularly difficult for some. And that said, prayer in general is a difficult thing. It's it's like a push-up or a pull-up. It's some of those exercises that take a little bit. But the thing about it is those are the ones that are the most rewarding. And of all the spiritual disciplines, it is prayer that is arguably the most rewarding. So, let's all agree that what we're trying to do is hard. It's hard. Just call it what it is. This is a hard thing. But I don't want it to be unnecessarily difficult for you. So, like a personal trainer, I want to help you with it because I'm here working with you for your joy. So that's my hope today, for us to focus on confession. What I observe is that the difficulty of confession and personal prayer comes from either hyper-awareness of sin or unawareness of sin. Being hyper-aware of it or unaware of it. And I want to talk about those two things today. And I want us to consider that the fact that we notice the sin in our life, none of those things should stop us from giving glory to God by confessing our sin to him. How we feel when we go to confession, any of those feelings ought not stop us from being faithful in it. So first this morning, I want to talk about the discomfort that can come. The discomfort of this. On the one end, the discomfort from your heightened awareness of sin. That should not stop you from admitting your sin to God. You know, the motto is, if it hurts, stop. If it causes pain, well, then don't do it. And that's how you might think of this. Confession can be a very painful thing because you're examining your life, you're examining your heart, and what you find is more sin and evil than you perhaps expected to find. And that can be just hard. It can be painful. And you may think, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. You see, you can realize when you reflect on your sin how many people you've hurt by your sin. Or you realize how much your public sin has hurt your good name that perhaps you've spent years trying to to make. A good name's rather be chosen than great riches, Proverbs tells us. You realize that perhaps your private sin has become a habit for you. That doesn't feel good to realize that. Or you realize how many things that God has commanded you to do, but you haven't done them 
And perhaps you haven't done them for years or even decades. Or you realize that something is sinful that you never realized was sinful until just recently. So for all these years you've been doing it, but you didn't realize it was wrong. Or you realize how much you sinned in speech or in thought. Or you've realized how much you've still sinned even after you've been converted to the faith. Even as a Christian, you still sin. Or you realize that you just sinned moments before you knelt down to pray. It's like the times that the car ride to church explodes. And you're thinking, I don't feel like I'm in the right mindset to be here doing this, right? See, that's what happens when you get honest and you kneel before the Lord. All those things add up and you just feel dirty, right? And when you feel that way, you might think, I don't know if I want to do this. Well, don't let that feeling stop you from giving glory to God by admitting sin to him. God deserves glory. Why? Because of what confession does for God. You know that when you confess your sin, it does something for God? Your confession actually magnifies God. You ever think about that? When you confess your sin, it magnifies God. You say, how? Well, I've already given you the example of Achan and how he did it. But let's consider another example. You remember the thief on the cross. Jesus was crucified among two criminals. And you remember that those criminals joined in with all the other people and they were railing against Jesus. They were making fun of him. They were mocking him. But you remember that one of them changed his tune. And he said, we're receiving the due rewards for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. You say, what did he do? He publicly admitted his sin. And he pointed out that there was only one who was perfectly righteous and just. He said, did that man give glory to God? Absolutely. He did. Or King David when he confessed his sin. King David said, against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. You see, true confession exalts God because it clears God. It makes it plain to all that God has done nothing wrong. He's righteous in all. It's me who's made the mistake. It's me who's transgressed. It's me who's sinned. He's right. I want you to compare those confessions. Of they, just, they own what they've done. Compare that confession to the confession of Adam in the garden. Remember, Adam and Eve ate of the tree. And then they ran and hid when they heard the Lord coming. And then God asked what they'd done. And you remember how Adam responded and made his confession? Think with, these, think with me about these very familiar words again, okay? Adam said this, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Adam explained and complained, but finally he got to his confession, Yeah, I, 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 did, I did eat. Yeah. But see how he didn't clear God? Instead, he reminded God, you remember this whole Eve thing? That was your idea? You gave her to me? You see, that kind of confession doesn't glorify God. 
But true confession will magnify God in as far as it is without qualifications. It's without all the explanations. It's just honest. It shows that you have the faith enough to believe that God is good, that what he commands is good, and that the lie of the devil to eat the fruit actually wasn't the better pathway to satisfaction. When you confess your sin, you're actually letting God know that you believe his way is actually the better way. Not eating would have been the better thing to do. What God said was actually good for me, but I was wrong. So when you are honest about that, you magnify God. You give glory to the Lord. So your confession magnifies God. Secondly, your confession, and here's the promise, your confession finds forgiveness. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, God is a forgiving God. He forgives. And if you mean what you say when you confess your sin, God will always forgive you. And that's God's mercy, and it's just so wonderful. And we need to remind ourselves of God's mercy regularly. We need to remember, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy, Proverbs tells us. We have to be reminded of that. And I saw that yesterday when I was working with my kids through this portion of the season of prayer. We would work on what can we admit to God that we've done that's sinful. And they would admit that. And then they'd open up their eyes, and I could see it in their eyes. You could see, if you would, their fear even. And I saw their immediate need to know that when you confess your sin, God forgives you. And that's what I reminded them of. That the one who confesses receives God's mercy. And we make that gospel connection every single Sunday here. We read the scriptures. We confess the sin mentioned there, even as we did this morning, and then immediately we talk about the gospel pardon for everyone who confesses his sin, for everyone who trusts in Jesus in the very next song. That's what we focus on. And then every single month of the year, we examine ourselves, and then we observe the Lord's Supper, which is a reminder of this very thing. We examine ourselves, we confess the sins that are on our conscience, and then we go and have the bread and the cup. And it reminds us that our our forgiveness costs Jesus his life. Remember what we say and what Jesus said. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. That's like a euphemism for he had to die. He was giving his life which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sin. And we remind ourselves of that every week and every month here publicly. And that's the same thing that we have to do in our own private time with the Lord. That when we confess our sin, we know he is faithful and just to forgive us. So why should you do this? You should do it because you will find the forgiveness that you need, the release from the guilt that you have. That's why we do this. So 
First this morning, on the one end of things, the discomfort from your heightened awareness of your sin, that should not stop you from admitting your sin to God. Now there's another side to this that I want to address as well. And this is the despair from your unawareness of sin shouldn't stop you from admitting your sin to God. Now that is a lot. That is a mouthful. But let's unpack it for a moment, okay? See, you worked hard to make your time in prayer. And you know that you were supposed to have a time in that prayer committed to confessing your sin. And you were, you were determined to do it. You knew that you didn't want to be like the Pharisee. You wanted to be like the tax collector. You wanted to be honest with God. You're willing to confess your sin to God. And then you got to it in your time of prayer. You confessed the sins that were on your conscience. And then you looked up for a moment and only 30 seconds had gone by. And you thought, uh, what do I do now? And you're like, I want to do this, but what do I do? So there's part of you that just thinks, that's what we want to talk about. Because I don't want you to feel that and just say, well, I guess I should just go on to making my requests and be done with it. No. What you should do is take a few more moments. And I I want to respond by by telling you there's, there's kind of a range of how to respond. When you go to confess, you have a heart to confess to the Lord, to be honest with God, But very honestly, nothing is coming to mind. That could be for a number of reasons. I'm going to give you a range, okay? On the one hand, you may think, well, I confess my sins to God. There weren't too many. I guess I'm doing pretty good. I'm not like other people who'd have to go on and on and on. I'm not unjust, dishonest, lustful, hurtful, prideful. And you sound just like the Pharisee, right? You quickly find yourself comparatively quite good. So you quickly become very disinterested in this whole idea of confession, and you move right on to all the requests that you have for God. You don't give confession any more thought. That's one way to take it. On the other hand, you might not be so confident that you've achieved Christian perfection. So you really do despair. You despair... Because you have to, you think, why can't I think of anything else? Am I just cold to God? Am I not aware of my own heart? What's wrong with me? I mean, other people, they can just keep confessing things. I don't even know what to say. What's wrong with me? You see, there's a range of how you might respond when you only can confess for 30 seconds, we'll say. There's a range from being overconfident to no confidence. And I want you to know as we begin this, wherever you stand on that range of response, there's hope for you. Being just like the Pharisee might be exactly where you are today. There's hope for you. God can change that. He can work with someone who's overconfident. He can change them. You may lack self-awareness. You may be cold to God. That may be very true of you, that you can't think of anything because you really don't have much desire for God at all. That may be true, but God can change that. So don't worry. There is a pathway to a richer, warmer relationship with God. And part of that will come the more you learn 
what it means that Christ came to save you from your sins. That is a journey all lifelong, how Christ came to save you from your sins. And that's something that grows and grows and grows. So, very, very, very practically, what do you do when confession seems difficult? When you go 30 seconds and you don't know what else to do after that? Well, you who are committed to do this, you who know you're a sinner, you who know you need the grace of God, how do you search out any other sins in your life? Let's talk about that. Begin by asking God to help you uncover your sin. Ask God. Psalmist said this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. You know, God is your greatest help to knowing yourself and knowing your sin. And he wants you to see your sin. He wants you to know your own heart because he wants you to draw closer to him and those things separate you from him. He's willing to help you. So ask for his help. I remember back at school when I was in seminary, the seminary students met and there was a panel of seminary professors who were answering a number of questions. And my church history professor was asked about his personal devotional life and his prayer life. I'll never forget what he said. He said that one of the regular things he says to God in prayer is this. Is everything good between us, Lord? Is there anything wrong? I've always remembered that very humble question. Because it takes a humble man to raise that kind of question. Where you just open yourself up, Lord, I'm willing. Is there something I need to fix? Is there something that I've done wrong? Is there something I'm not seeing? Lord, help me. Have you even asked? Start there. You want to grow in the Lord? Ask him. He will help. And the fact that God has also, in his wonderful plan, given us the local church, ask your church family if they've noticed any sin in your life. The sins that they're praying for you on their prayer list. Ask them. They can help you. Because it's not just God who's working for your joy in your life. It's also the people sitting around you right now. So ask. Start there. Ask. Don't despair. Secondly, this morning, I'd encourage you, examine more closely the sins you already are aware of. You say that you spent a moment confessing sin to God. You were done in 30 seconds. But I would say, perhaps you haven't considered what you just said. You've hardly even thought about the sins you've just confessed to God. So be more specific about these things. Leviticus tells us that a man, when he realizes his guilt in any of these things, he's supposed to confess the sin he committed. So when you confess your sin, never be content to say something like this. Lord, I know I'm not perfect. I sin. I'm proud and selfish. And sometimes I say the wrong thing. Don't do that. Where you're saying something that like everyone could say at any moment of their life. It's your prayer. Tell God how you've been proud. Tell God how you've been selfish. Tell God exactly what you said that was wrong. Be specific when you admit your sin to God. And that's definitely going to take more time. And not, this is not about a clock. I hope you know that. 
I'm really talking about that feeling you have when you're trying to confess your sin and you feel, I ought to be able to do this more or better, and what do I do? That's what we're talking about. Be specific with God about what you've done. Then consider who you've sinned against and who has been hurt by what you did. Remember what David said, against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. You know that David made that confession after his sin with Bathsheba. He knew what he did wrong to Bathsheba. He knew what he did wrong to Uriah. And he, he knew what he did wrong about all those people involved in the fling and the cover-up. He knew. But he didn't forget the fact that sin is ultimately and firstly against God. We need to remember that. We have to remember sin is not just a mistake that we failed to do what was right. That there's some cosmic code out there that we're supposed to abide by and ah, sometimes we get it wrong. No, when we sin... We rebel against our creator. We have to remember that. Talk to God about that. So consider when you've sinned who it is who's been impacted by it. Next, consider the setting. Consider the frequency of your sin. The Bible says in Romans, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So when you think through your sins, reflect before God. Talk to God about this about whether or not you set yourself up to sin. That can be a very sober moment. That you made provision for the flesh. Perhaps you need to admit to God that you've been foolish like the young man in Proverbs 7 who lacked sense. And you admit to God that you have not been purposely drawing near to God, but instead you've been carelessly setting yourself up for falls. Talk to God about that. I also encourage you as you examine the sins that you already know about, examine them more closely, get to the heart of it. Get to the heart of it. For example, when you say that you said something unkind to your spouse or your child or your sibling, don't just stop with a simple confession that you're sorry about what you said. Oh, I'm sorry. Shouldn't have said that. Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So your slip of the tongue was actually a revelation of what was in your heart. So when you confess to God the wrong that you said to your spouse, you need to talk to God about what that reveals about your heart. Your angry outburst was thus just the explosion of a heart that's selfish and demands that everything be just so and that you're the kind of person That shouldn't be crossed. That's a heart issue. So don't be content to pluck the petals of sin. Dig out the root. Get rid of it. Deal with it. And tell God all of that. Admit all of it to God. Why? Because confession finds forgiveness. There's no fear there. So... Ask God for help. Examine the sins you already know of more carefully. And lastly, educate yourself about what sin is. You see, did you know that you can sin in thought, word, and deed? You might think, oh, really? Thought, word, deed? You may have only thought that you can sin by what you do. You really haven't been thinking about the things that you've been thinking You know, Jesus said, do not be anxious for anything. 
Are you anxious about Tuesday? You say, but I didn't do anything wrong. But you might have been anxious right here. God has something to say about that. So what we realize, the more we learn about sin, is that sin shows up in more places than perhaps we thought before. Or you can sin by what you do or by what you don't do. I'd say most people think that sin is doing the wrong thing. And few people think that sin is failing to do the right thing. But both are sin. You see, on the one hand, it is sin to do the wrong thing. To murder, commit adultery, steal and lie, as the Ten Commandments tell us not to do those things. But we also know we're supposed to observe the Lord's Day and honor our father and mother. We can't leave those things out. Can't fail to do those things. So kids, as we come to the end of the service, this perhaps is a chance to talk to you because you still live with your mom and dad and one of your greatest struggles in all your life is going to be the fact that you need to honor your mother and father. And that's not popular among your, your friends and your peers at school. It is not cool to listen. But God commands you to give your heart to your parents, to listen to them. And as I prayed with some of my kids, that was the very sin that they confessed, that they hadn't. So we can sin by what we do or by what we don't do. And I would say the greatest sin of commission in the Christian church at large is talking negatively about someone else with someone else. It's like adultery. God is really clear about that sin and that how wrong it is, but it's like people think they're free to do it. And they just call it concern. And it's all, it's all good. It's not. And I'd say the greatest sins of omission in the Christian church are actually the basics of the Christian faith. Like, be baptized. Gather with God's people. Witness. Pray. All those things that we read throughout the book of Acts that are supposed to be among God's people, they're just omitted. And I think maybe, maybe it could be because, especially us old folks who've been in the church for years, we think, I give more than the tithe anyway. I mean, I'm doing what God wants. And then we feel that maybe some other things that God expects we don't have to be so faithful on. I give my money. We're good. We need to be faithful. God said, pray without ceasing. So when you reflect on ways that you might have sinned against God in your season of prayer and your time of confession, did you ever think, huh, maybe I need to confess the Lord that I've been prayerless or I have failed to witness to my neighbors? See, those are the kinds of things that we confess to God. Sins of omission, sins of commission. So the way to educate yourself about sin is to read God's word and to hear it preached. That's how we learn from what God said. And just as we do from Sunday to Sunday, we allow God's word, the scripture reading, to direct our thoughts to many different ways that God wants us to love him. And we see there might be a way that we're failing to love God. And we use that as a, as a God-given opportunity to examine our hearts and to be honest with God about it. And we admit those things to God. And we're reminded that if we will confess our sin, that he will forgive. 
that he will cover the things that we uncover. Now I began today by talking about Achan and the fact that I knew the lesson about stealing from Achan. But it wasn't until in the past years that I learned that lesson from Joshua. There's an opportunity before us to give God glory and it's through confessing our sin because confessing our sin magnifies God and it finds forgiveness. So we ought to give ourselves to this. So as you and I together continue through our season of prayer, I just want to be a help in that middle chunk to help you know what to do during that time. And as you anticipate, we'll probably work on one and three later on. We'll get to that in the weeks to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we have together. Just want to be a help to each other as we bend our knees before you just want people to not despair and be discouraged when they're honest with you. Lord, we want everyone to have that, that sweet joy of sensing closeness with you, of knowing there's nothing between us and the Lord. There's nothing that blocks sweet fellowship, that we've been honest, and that we know your mercy. We know your gospel grace. So, Lord, strengthen each one here as he commits to this season and these times of prayer. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.